0: Tell us your name.
1: Ashley Sanders.
0: And uh, where are you from?
1: Salt Lake City, Utah.
0: All right. And uh, what are you doing right now?
1: Well, right now I'm being interviewed. But I am I am living in Salt Lake, and I'm working for Sunstone. And I'm trying to do all the things in my life that I didn't have time to do when I was in school.
0: Where were you at school? BYU. Uh, BYU, what did you study?
1: everything but i finally ended up majoring in english and philosophy how was that um i liked english better than philosophy and it was uh lots of things including frustrating and really rewarding my english classes were phenomenal i think
0: good well tell us about um your faith journey from maybe your teen years to now and anything that is, that you would consider noteworthy or unique or uh, significant, um, you know, in 30 seconds. No, in, you <laughs> know, five minutes or however long you would want to take on that.
1: Okay. Um, well, let's see. Teen years. Starting with the teen years. I, my parents, are really, um... How do I describe them? They're really apolitical people, and so the emphasis in my house was always on uh, personal personal transformation, a personally good life, and so um, and kindness above all. And so that cultivated in me, plus, uh, combined with my temperament, this personality where I just wanted to help. I wanted to do good, and so um, I just tried to do good in the church as much as I could and tried to I felt really strongly that I should come to church with my own um, idea of what church should be and I should try to make it that way and I tried to do that for a really long time and the I always felt like I was really different than a lot of other kids my age because I took ideas really 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 seriously and I had these ideas of what church could be, what people could be, what communities could be, even when I was really, really, really young. And I had an almost probably violent sense of like personal ethics and stuff like that. That doesn't sound right, but a very severe sense of personal ethics. And um, anyway, I went to church and uh, I guess for as long as I can remember I felt really peripheral in church, but I loved church, and so I always came back, and I wanted it to be better, and I wanted it to be different. So I went like that for a long time, but I also wasn't exposed to very many things in church and in school, and so I think I tried to think really, really hard and really well, but I didn't really have a lot of people who taught me how to do that, and I didn't have the information, so I had as good of ideas as I could have had, hopefully, as far as my thought process was concerned but I didn't have a lot of the information to teach me that I maybe wasn't wrong wasn't right in the things that I thought and so in some ways I was trying to be a good thinker but I ended up being stunted by that lack of information and so I grew up and my high school was very well it was actually atypical if you compare it to other high schools but for Utah it was very typical although uh, people really emphasized being intelligent there and they really emphasized conversation and I had really good friends who talked about everything Um, but I was still pretty uh, I don't know I couldn't articulate fully why I felt different and then I went to college and I kept going in the vein of um, kind of wanting to help I saw basically what I'm trying to say is I feel like I've always been a social critic I felt that way since I was 14 or 15 years old I was always trying to change things and get people to look at things differently and I um but I also felt so strongly about institutions that I just wanted to help them whether they were true or not and so for instance in school I really really resented the methodology that the way that people taught people in school I resented that in church Um but I tried to come prepared and make it better and change it and finally, when I was about twenty, I realized that loving something is not the same thing as believing in it, and that if I had been put into, you know, Hinduism or Buddhism or, you know, Catholicism, I would have tried to help in just the same way, and that's not the same thing as asking whether or not I believed in something. And so then I started to try to ask if I believed in it, uh, and and it was really really hard. And then that set me on the path um, towards, you know, whatever, but with uh, all the baggage of these questions that have become basically tropes in my life and tensions that have become um, motifs throughout my life and things like that, tensions between individuals and institutions and being obsessed with the idea of paradox and, um, and wanting equality. And anyway, I'm not doing a very good job of explaining it it's really hard to explain I think as anybody's would be so
0: can you think back either in, in your high school or um, college uh, experiences to maybe some of the issues or questions that you brought into your church experience say Sunday school or really you know young women's or and what you experienced. if you want to tell a story or just describe um, as you were struggling with some of these issues, what your experience was in, in trying to discuss them in your church setting?
1: Um, well, I guess that one of the, as an English major, I guess I'm only capable of having broad, abstract uh, crises and issues with things. But one thing I felt was that Um, We never, in church or in school, we never asked uh, why something was important. We just assumed it was important and then cheerleaded for it. And that was really frustrating for me because I believe very much, and then I also, at that point, believed very much in the power of words, especially their ambiguity, and I felt like... um, The ambiguity in words is really important and we have to respect words and figure out what they mean and not try to dogmatize them or make them seem simple because that would have really negative consequences for people's faith. And speaking of the word faith, that's one of the words that I had a really hard time with um, in church because I felt like people made it really, really um, easy and really, I think that they fetishized it and I think that they made it seem like it was really simple. Um, and maybe it is simple, but it's a very ambiguous word and I feel like we never discussed it. We just said, have it, have it all the time. And one thing that I was comfortable, one thing that I was really uncomfortable with, I remember when I was really, really little, um, I was at a party, a family party, and we were talking and pe- about church stuff and people, were being kind they weren't being malicious or gossipy but somebody and they said with real pain in their voices oh yeah this person is no longer active or this person left the church or this person blah 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 but it was also kind of like it's too bad they lost their faith and my whole crisis when I was younger I think centered around that word faith and the idea of activity or inactivity in the church and I remember feeling really frustrated and I think I even said something to my mom about it because in my mind this is how it worked why does it mean I guess I felt frustrated that the moment that you do a ritual in the church to show that you believe then you are a believing faithful person and if you don't do those rituals then you aren't and I was really frustrated that a person could go right up to the second before she was baptized and not be faithful and then the second she was baptized no questions asked she was a faithful active member of the church and I felt really strongly in a way that I couldn't articulate to myself when I was eight years old but intuitively I felt that people's faith processes were much more important than the outcome of their faith and I felt like we had made faith into an outcome word. you only had it if you achieved a certain outcome and I felt really angry about that because I felt like You could have faith and decide that you didn't believe in something. You could have faith and not get an answer that another person got. And I think that is a good foundational story for the rest of my uh, experience and my journey. um, Mm. Because I feel like most of the things that I worry about or struggle with come down to that um, Mm. difference between process and product and I really really feel frustrated when you can only earn a virtuous word um, if you achieve a certain outcome and I was really troubled by that when I was younger and I was really troubled by the discussion of faithful versus non-faithful people and uh, and it wasn't in a flippant way or a teenage rebellion non-conformist way like who cares man everybody's just fine okay it was really truly that I felt like you did have to do battle with something and that you had to really set your heart on something and struggle it wasn't a desire to avoid something or just to slip into like pop relativism but I felt like people could struggle with something and conclude something very different than someone else and uh, and that was probably one of the most significant uh, struggles. I didn't like the way that we used the words that were supposed to be the most beautiful words in our religion. And um,
0: How yeah. did you cope with uh, the feeling uh, of being different? It's clear that there probably weren't many kids your age feeling and thinking the things you were thinking. You probably might have even experimented talking to them about it and maybe didn't Uh, find a group of peers at least maybe in your high school years that maybe got why you would be feeling so frustrated so what did that do to you internally did you internalize it did you feel any guilt or anything or were you just sort of frustrated that everyone else wasn't as uh, you know compassionate or tuned in to your concerns as you were
1: uh well yeah i was very frustrating but um interestingly enough i feel like i'm on the guilt I'm riding the guilt train in almost every way but that I don't feel and and this is something that's always felt strange to me about myself um, I almost have an an uncanny belief that the things that I think are good and that they deserve to be thought about and so I didn't get depressed about that I felt like I think I have a really strong mind and I thought no these things are important and and I didn't shrink and I didn't say oh they're not important to other people I'm more of a crusader than a tormented soul in that regard and so I tried really hard to create my big thing was creating the situations that I wanted to see um, and that was part of my integrity that if I had integrity I would create these situations that weren't available for me and so I that sounds self aggrandizing but that's what I tried to do in high school was to constantly speak about what I thought was important and to get people to who were interested to do those things with me or to talk about those things with me. So I was pretty resolute and I ended up having really good friends because of that and a really rewarding high school experience and um, I had all sorts of crusades that fell under bigger crusades and and I tried just really hard to you know have that be my gospel and try to honor it in myself but I was I felt different my whole life because I would sit in school and I would feel really sad because I'd feel like I would feel confused that that was enough for people that that was enough for them to just sit in a desk bored out of their minds and wait for the teacher to call on them and ask a specific question that they could answer and I felt really uncomfortable the structure and methodology of the church and of my school classes were the most frustrating things to me because I wanted a place where I could create new ideas and associate ideas and, and, bring, and bring whatever I had to the table and, and offer it and I felt like all most places offered you were you know, was just the opportunity to answer a pointed question correctly and that, that made me feel so lonely.
0: And how did you deal with that loneliness?
1: Uh I just annoyed people. I just kept doing what I thought was important, and I kept coming to school over prepared and coming to church over prepared and raising my hand and not selfishly, hopefully, but when I thought something was important, diverting a conversation and uh I don't know i I think I responded by just being really bullheaded about it, hopefully not in a bad way, but I just thought it was important, and so I did it, but I felt really lonely, and as far as what I actually did about that loneliness, it didn't go away. It never has gone away. Um, I had friends I could talk to about it, and I did that, but mostly I just tried really hard to counteract it by the way I lived my life, and by the way I went to church, which usually just makes you feel more frustrated. But
0: So how did this... Uh, um grow or diminish uh, as you went to BYU?
1: Um, let's see, BYU. Well, I was really mad that people thought BYU was a lost cause and people would say, oh, you're going to Provo and they'd roll their eyes and I, I get angry, I love underdogs of any kind and I get angry when people feel like towns are just whatever they are when they find them, you know, and that's the best they can be. So I thought, well, I'll make Provo what I want it to be. And so that's the attitude that I had when I went into it. And not that it was all up to me, but I would try my best. So on the one hand, I've had the most vibrant experience of my entire life going to BYU. And I found people who are unparalleled in any other city or other place I've ever been. And we've done incredible things together. and then in the classroom, I was really challenged, and I felt really good about my education for the most part. But um, a few things: number one, the old methodology crisis persisted, and I felt lonely in class. And I felt like I just basically longed to be a teacher, and because then I could create a class where I could, where everyone could participate. And um, then number two, the honor code. Um, I didn't really know about it before I went to BYU. I guess I signed it, um, but I was just like, what is this weird document, you know? I signed it, and then that became part of my part of a huge crisis in my life and in a lot of other people's lives and part of my crusade at BYU and then the tension between the administration and the students was a huge deal at BYU for me.
0: Wait, what, What's wrong with the honor code? I mean you know don't drink and smoke and be nice to people and don't steal and don't lie. What's wrong with that?
1: <laughs> uh, well I partly what's wrong with it is that I feel like I am a spiritual anarchist to for lack of a better term I feel like people should be good because they chose to be good I feel like they should believe something because it meant something to them not because they feared it not because it was culturally accepted not because it was forced on them and that's a pretty radical view to take and everybody tells me I'll change that idea when I'm a parent but I think it's really important I think that critical thinking and the process of coming to know something altruistically with the right motives is more important than what you conclude and I think the honor code makes it it's a document basically you go into BYU and they say build your testimony but the honor code says from the very beginning you should always already have had a testimony and it should be this testimony and so people feel I think that that Determining what you believe is very Cartesian. It's the process Descartes described. It's starting with you know, as little as you can in terms of biases and whatever, and then trying to move. And maybe you'll be at a point that doesn't look moral or ethical, but it's an integral part of that process of trying to figure out what you believe. The honor code doesn't allow for that. It's static. It makes people come in and feel guilty if they don't already espouse the doctrines in it, and they are doctrines because they're doctrinaire, and they control an entire campus. And the second thing that's wrong with it is I think, and this has always been my problem, it infantilizes the gospel. And it says to people, this is what the gospel is. The gospel is a set of codified rules that you can check yourself against, rather than the gospel is a transformative concept that you can only judge yourself against honestly. Only if you're honest can you ever judge yourself against it. And if you're not, we have no help for you. And so... The honor code is a codified set of rules that makes people think they're good for all the wrong reasons. And the things that are found in that document don't matter, I think, religiously. And if you just don't drink, my personal opinion is that if something, if you're not living a law on a higher level, according to the principle that it was based on then it probably actually does more damage to you than it does good because of the dogmatism that it invites into your life and so if people decide that they don't want to drink and smoke because they believe that it is important to them to have harmony between their spirit and their body then I respect those people more than anything but if they decide to not drink just because somebody said we're Mormon, we don't drink, I don't think it blesses them except for it keeps them maybe from having liver cancer when they're older I think that it's not enough and I think that the honor code sets a ceiling on goodness and it punishes people who are actually trying to live according to principle and according to concepts and it creates a pall of bad thinking on campus so that people are not capable of engaging in discussion about why they do things or don't do things all you have to do is point to a rule as your founding document and that does your work for you mentally spiritually emotionally that's damaging to people I think it's damaging to that campus most people have not learned how to think on that campus and I don't think that most of them have had the opportunity That sounds really condescending, but they're not given the opportunity to learn to think the way that I think they could be, and I don't think that they're given the opportunity to be spiritual the way they could be.
0: But you would acknowledge that there's probably some who comply with the honor code and have thought a lot about it. Uh, I mean, certainly you'd say that's possible, right? Uh, Are you just saying you didn't find it very often?
1: Yeah, I guess it's possible. I, I just don't think that I think there are people who have been thoughtful about it and who have chosen to comply with it. But I don't think that if you set out to be thoughtful and there was no document, you would end up uh, painting a document like the honor code for yourself. I just don't believe that. But.
0: Um, okay, you were talking about administration. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you also an organizational anarchist?
1: <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I'm too torn to be an organizational anarchist, but... I think that maybe one of the values of an organization is to make life so difficult for people that they consider things they haven't considered before. That might be honestly one of the best purposes of an organization that I know of. I believe in people working collectively, profoundly, and I believe very much in obligations and like uh, sacred obligations to other people, and I think that organizations can foster that if they combine their organizational structure with principles and I think if they do that organizations can be wonderful and if especially they allow everyone to participate as equals organizations can be wonderful but when they lose that they I think are just protectors of a really really damaging status quo not that the status quo is always wrong but protecting it as if it's sacrosanct is wrong in my opinion and so I think it's damaging I think that the administration at BYU is not acting according. Well, I don't think that they teach us principles. I think that they teach us rules. And I think an organization that's lost its founding principles is not an effective organization. And I think it's a dangerous organization. So, can an um, organization
0: be both uplifting and dangerous?
1: Yeah. I think every I think every organization has the potential for both.
0: And so t- tell us a bit about the good you see in BYU.
1: Um, I feel like the, and it's not always realized, but it was realized in several of my classes, this idea. And it was beautiful when it was realized. And I think actually from what I've read in the founding documents of BYU, this was one of the purposes of it. Um, I think that if that the fact that BYU requires secular and spiritual thinking from a person at the same time has the potential to do something that I think is more important than anything which is to make someone recognize their hypocrisy and try sincerely to change that and to make people consider things from different angles and really battle with them. I went to the U for a while and it was a good education as well and I visited my friends at other schools and this condemnation is not fair and it's not a condemnation but I feel like if you're just at a secular school sometimes you're not attached enough to ideas to have it matter if they're replaced by new ideas um, and so you happily accept the next fad, the next chain of thinking the next um, zeitgeist or whatever because you're not attached enough to something to have it hurt to change it and I think religion means being attached enough to something to have it be painful to consider something else but to also have the obligation to consider something else is one of the most powerful educational tensions I can think of and BYU has that tension and in the classes where the teachers emphasize that tension I had some of the best education that I can imagine that I couldn't have had other places I love that about BYU I love that you have to constantly consider that everyone on that campus is your brother and sister. Not that you don't have brothers and sisters other places, but that is always um, in your face. You know, you have to think about it. I like that about BYU. Um, I like that they provide a place where people can talk about things spiritually because I think people get really lonely and start to despair when they can only talk about their life in an intellectual way. So I like those things about VOU. Any,
0: any um, professors that were inspirational to you? Not necessarily by name, but I mean just, or, or by name, whatever.
1: Oh, I had so many professors who were inspiring to me, friends that I'll have for the rest of my life, hopefully. And I feel like I found professors to match my different temperaments because part of my problem is I feel really conflicted temperamentally because I have a part of myself that's, profoundly devoted profoundly religious and a part of myself that is really wary of things and a part of myself that's very radical so it's just I feel like I found teachers who matched those sentiments and the best ones the best mentors that I found were people who had like the gravity and potential for joy and expansiveness that is like characteristic of a religious soul but also like the conscience and awareness um, that is necessary to live a good life in a secular world and I found I found probably ten of those teachers. I was really lucky.
0: Good faculty then. Mm How how about um, how about peers and uh, talk a little bit about uh, the beginnings of discussion night and what it became.
1: Um, As far as people in Provo, I have not been everywhere in the world so this statement will not be corroborated by experience but I could not imagine finding a more vibrant, beautiful group of people ever. And I think that they are so amazing because they have, because they are religious and because they are really committed to helping in the world. And that combination I felt like made them really powerful people and really important, meaningful forces in the world in a way that, you know, I don't feel other places as much. Um, We started discussion night, or I started it because I felt frustrated at the methodology of church and school and I felt like there must be other people like me who were, you know, have their hands in the air when the bell rings and who wish they could talk about school after it ended and whatever and so we started a discussion night and at first it was it ended up being called Virtues Night because I made a sheet for myself about of different gospel principles that I thought were really important and then I made a challenge for myself to go with those things and I tried to live it to see if it made me a more daring and better conscionable person and so the first night that we had discussion I passed that out to everybody and we read about the virtues and we talked about them and everybody chose the virtue they thought was most important and then for the next year about every week a person would present on a virtue and there was no holds barred you could say I don't think that's a virtue I don't believe in that blah 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 you could be tedious you could be philosophical it was for all it was for all the marginalized people basically to come and have their ideal conversation so it was pretty insane and there were arguments and there were there was everything and then it evolved slowly over the years we did it for five years over the years it evolved into all sorts of things. We would cook dinner together. We would have art nights. We would do social experiments. We would talk about philosophical things, current events, um, activist stuff. I don't know, everything. It was uh, like a And What were the
0: numbers of attendees?
1: Uh, the first night that I did it, I think there were 12 people there. And, um, and then over the years, I mean it would fluctuate, but usually by the end of the night there had been at least 30 people in and out um, it was very much like a Mormon wedding of the mind people just came when they want and left when they wanted and Had some bad food, maybe and so um, But yeah, 30 people sometimes 70 people would come it really just depended on the topic the night
0: what would bring 70 people?
1: One thing that brought 70 people was when Stephen Jones talked about his nine uh, 9-11 conspiracies <laughs> or conspiracy theories that you had him come of to discussion night. Yeah, and then another one. Let's see. There are a few that brought tons of people. I'm trying to remember. There's a lot of people when we talked about Marxism. Um there were a lot of people when we talked about the Iraq war. There are tons of people when we planned for alternative commencement. Um lots of people. I don't know. There were there are huge numbers several times. But usually there'd be like 25 to 35 or maybe 40 people, it just kind of depended.